And we welcome you into the best podcast available, presented by Key Private Bank. Key Private Bank is at the forefront of helping affluent families take a comprehensive approach to building, managing, and protecting their wealth in any environment through objective advice and personalized solutions. I'm Jason Gibbs, alongside Andrew Gribble. We are eight weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft, and in less than two weeks from right now, free agency in the NFL will be underway. What it looks like? No idea. What the salary cap will ultimately be? Zero clue. Gribbs, a lot to be determined here, not just in the next eight weeks leading up to the draft, but in the next two weeks leading up to free agency as well. Yeah, and I think we we both probably saw what, what Diana Rossini put out there uh, earlier today about uh, one coach's take on what's going to happen here in the next couple weeks and that the salary cap and the crunch that it's going to cause could be tough for veterans around the league. So there's, there could be a lot more names out there in the coming days that we'll be discussing uh, that could impact the roster decisions of this team and, and teams around the league. I think I think the the number on the salary cap is maybe a little bit more optimistic than people thought it, it could be a few months ago. So a little bit more wiggle room and the, and the Browns are really well positioned compared to most teams. I mean, it may, may not be that way in a few years from now when you start locking these guys up on extensions, but right now your window is pretty good uh, to navigate this kind of situation where you really don't expect a salary cap to ever go down and it, it's going down pretty significantly, we think, but maybe not as much as we thought a few months ago. It'll be interesting to see coming up on the program today from the Draft Network analyst, former QB, former coach, former recruiting coordinator, Jordan Reed, who's been on the program before, will join us. Uh, Some very interesting takes, especially on that defensive line, that edge rusher position, and of course, at corner. Looking forward to hearing from him. And then uh, Gribble's gone through a number of mock drafts on clevelandbrowns.com, and we'll get his thoughts and takeaways on that as well. First and foremost, as we get into this week's podcast, Kevin Stefanski talked. Andrew Barry, our general manager, talked. Both guys talked this week. Normally, we'd be in Indianapolis, whether it was last week, this week. I thought it was last week, but nonetheless, normally, they talk at the NFL Combine. There is no NFL Combine. Gribbs, your three biggest takeaways from these past two days involving our hierarchy on this football team? I would say one is that these kind of press conferences are a lot different when you have the kind of season that the Browns just had. Uh, I think that you're picking 26th. uh, You don't have an exorbitant amount of free agent cap space or anything like that. You're not really trying. You don't have any glaring, huge holes to fill and and you're not trying to get a new quarterback. And so that makes these kind of media sessions – which typically are big on news or have been for the Browns in recent years, that these are just kind of check-ins, I would describe them as. That, I, w- I would say both of these were kind of check-ins with both Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, who answered a lot of questions, but you know didn't make a lot of news. And I, I think that that's, that's life as a winning team, uh, and a life as a winning team that doesn't go through a lot of change in the offseason. And for the Browns, I mean, that'll change here in the next month when you have some new players via free agency, players leaving, things like that. But when you don't have outside of an offensive quality control coach, when you don't have any changes to your organization, these are the kind of press conferences you end up getting, which are just a lot of 
hypotheticals and a lot of non-answers to these hypotheticals because these guys don't go into hypotheticals. So, it, I mean, it's just tough to glean a ton of information, but it, it, it more reinforces you got the right guys in charge and, and they've got this thing going in the right direction and are just trying to fill little holes uh, and make this team be even better than it was last year. Unflappable. Kevin Stefanski yeah. took 30 questions. Didn't bat an eye yesterday. <laughs> Andrew Barry <laughs> was right up there with him uh, on, on Wednesday and, you know, gave, gave a little bit more, uh, especially I thought there was some interesting, you know, based on free agents and if it's the right scheme, not the right scheme. I thought he had some, some interesting points there. Um, I love joint practices. And I know Kevin Stefanski mentioned if, if they could do it this year, he would love to do it. Uh, it sounds like uh, our, our three players that are, are dinged up, probably the worst out of everybody, Grant Delpit, Greedy, OBJ, everything seems to be on track in terms of their recovery. Although, you know, a lot to determine between now and, you know, when we report for training camp at the end of July. But, you know, he did sing, single out Kevin Stefanski yesterday, Grant Delpit, said he looked great when he saw him yesterday. So that is a big positive and, and a guy that we're counting on. And uh, the other the other note I made was, you know, because they don't really answer questions about players. We want everybody to be better. But Jacob Phillips got a nice little plug yesterday from Kevin Stefanski as well. And it's a guy that uh, is going to be counted on by this football team. Yeah, and, and Gibbs, just going back to my earlier point, all the news items you just mentioned, those are like notebook items. Th Correct. Those aren't really like headlines. I mean, these are just like little tidbits here and there, nuggets that, you know, maybe they'll make uh, – pro football talk, you know, but, but the, that the, the bar is pretty low there. They'll, they'll aggregate anything, but, you know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those things where these are a lot of news and notes type things, but there's just not a lot of big issues hanging over the team right now. It's, it's more about how do you do what you did last year, but do it even better. And I, I think that goes into my second takeaway where it's like, you don't hear much about last year from these guys. And I, I think that the, the page has been officially turned uh, and, and, and it's really just about how do you make a good team better? And I think that's a, that's, that's a discussion we haven't been able to have much uh, with this, with this franchise. And I think that it's a, it's an area to be, and it's why when you see what happens in free agency in the coming months, you may not see these splash signings that maybe we've, we've had in previous years. You don't get the big draft pick. Number 26 doesn't usually uh, generate a ton of headlines unless it's Jordan Love, which was last year at number 26. But, you know, it, it's just, the, you're, you're filling gaps and you're filling places where you have good scheme fits and guys that work within your system, not just the biggest names out there. And I think that's, that's the focus right now with, with this coaching staff in front office. And your third takeaway. I mean, I guess I'll go with the Rashard Higgins mention in the, in Andrew Barry's uh, press conference. I thought that was, a, that was as revealing as it gets where he said, I think suffice to say, we, we'd like to have Rashard back, but I think then he goes into the fact that Rashard had a really good season last year. And that's going to generate interest from other teams. I think that you might be competing for, for his services. And then ultimately it comes down to uh, where, where the, you follow the money or where the, where Richard ultimately controls that decision if it reaches March 17th at 4 PM. So that was, I guess, revealing. You heard Kevin Stefanski say he'd love to have a lot of these guys back. And I think even though we've had like no movement on this so far, I would not read into that at this point. I think these teams are waiting for this cap to be finalized. And then, 
you go in and maybe start re-signing some of these guys. The Browns have a lot of free agents. I mean, they've got, uh, I think it's about 18 or 19 or something. And, and half of half, half of your defensive starters from last year, your every game starters are going to be free agents. So the, it wouldn't surprise me if we start to see some movement on that front. But again, if we're to believe what some are predicting, I mean, there's just going to be this surplus of names on the market that you maybe didn't expect. And that'll ultimately maybe change the calculus inside the building right now. Yeah, and that could be the delay, not just here in Berea, but with all 32 teams. Everybody's looking to see who's going to get cut, and maybe you can sign them for the one-year prove-it deal or the one-year deal to bridge things until hopefully the salary cap goes back up. I think everybody's in a watch-and-wait mode across the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it. usually you see some more action right now, and maybe, yes. uh, maybe they're just – hasn't been enough guys to re-sign to long-term extensions that you typically have at this time of year, but we have had those quarterback trades. I think that filled the void for a little bit, but you just aren't seeing the numbers. I mean, you're just, those guys are inheriting contracts that they've, that they've had. You're, you're just not seeing these extensions or, or re-signings. I think we did have uh, uh, on, uh, on Wednesday, Tyrell Williams, the wide receiver, he's signing with uh, the lions. You had the JJ Watt signing with the Cardinals, but really, not a lot to not going on, but I, I'd expect next week it starts to pick up before it really dovetails into to the free agency week on, on March 15th, where you can start the, the legal tampering. Yeah, next week on the BPA, we'll, we'll kind of put the, the draft talk to bed for a week and really focus in on the free agent market less than a week out from 2021 free agency and free agency madness uh getting going we'll talk more about mock drafts and and we'll talk about mel kuyper's comments on his call with the media coming up here in just a few minutes right now though time for our weekly uh draft analyst spotlight we'll call it that from the draft network uh and current analyst former quarterback former coach former recruiting coordinator uh a, a, a riser in the industry when it comes to the NFL draft. And he breaks things down very well on the draft network. Also on his podcast, Jordan Reed with a few great minutes with us talking about offense, talking about defense, of course, talking about quarterbacks and how that impacts the Browns down the road at pick number 26 and the number of guys that could go in front. Also talking edge rushers, offensive linemen, defense, a total draft meat sandwich. Let's call it that. Have a watch and have a listen. Here on the best podcast available, happy to be joined right now by one of our favorites. Uh, we have him year in and year out. He's a former D1 quarterback, former coach, recruiting coordinator. He's now a draft analyst for the Draft Network, one of our favorite draft publications leading up to draft day. Now just eight weeks away. Maybe it'll be in the city of Cleveland. Maybe it won't. Sure kind of looks like it might end up being there. Jordan Reed joins us here. Compliments of our friends at Key Private Bank. And Jordan, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Another year unlike any other uh, as we start this. You know, last year we at least had the combine. This year we had the Senior Bowl, and that is it. (laughs) Outside of some pro days, obviously. But your thoughts uh, as you get ready for this draft, big picture-wise, and – trying to prep for it without a combine here in 2021? Well, first and foremost, Jason and Andrew, it's a pleasure being here. This is something that I look forward to 
every year. So when Jason sent me the text last week and I missed it, I seen it like two hours later. I was like, man, I'm mad I missed it. So I just wanted to apologize to you about that just because I look forward to doing this every year. But yeah, it's definitely different as far as we're in uncharted territory with everything that's going on. And I think the big difference from compared to last year to this year is that I think COVID hit around early March or late February and pretty much the draft was 90% done as far as draft profiles and resumes and get stuff together as far as guys information. But this year it's completely different just because you weren't allowed to take some of those on-campus visits. There was limited numbers of scouts that could go to actual in-game visits. Um, we don't have an actual combine, which is something a lot of teams rely on as far as medical situations and then testing numbers uh, on the field drills and things of that nature. Everybody's process is different as far as across our, all 32 teams, but we know um, this is definitely uncharted territory for a lot of teams. So the process is really different for a lot of guys. And Jordan, how much of an added wrinkle is it uh, to where you're ranking guys and, and what you think is going to happen with all the quarterback movement in the league that's going on right now and, and really getting an idea of what teams actually might even need a quarterback by, by the end of April? And that's the hardest thing to predict as far as a draft perspective, just because we know teams are going to move up. They're going to trade back depending on which teams want a quarterback or which teams are trying to stockpile draft capital for the most part. And I think with the quarterbacks, I think it's really hard to predict this year just because there's so many at the top. And we haven't seen quarterbacks go back to back to back since I believe it was 1999, where it was Akili Smith, Tim Couch and um, Donovan McNabb. So I think we could be faced with a similar situation this year with Trevor Lawrence Fields and then Zach Wilson. Those are considered like the top three guys right now. But after that, you have um, Zach or excuse me, you have Trey Lance and then also Mac Jones as well. So a potential five quarterbacks going in the first round. But we know with quarterback movement, it's really unpredictable. We've seen guys like Matthew Stafford already be traded. Jared Goff, that trade was one of those ones where you had to check the blue check mark for Adam Schefter to see if it was actually real when the transaction came through and then there's other guys just starting to see Russell Wilson come out with some, some unpleasant things that he's coming out with right now. Uh, there's a good article about that last week. So, and I'm sure he won't be the last better quarterback. Alex Smith is another one. Ian Rapport just came out and said about that. So quarterback movement is really unpredictable, not only from the NFL standpoint, but also the draft as well. I want to circle back to the guys that are coming out in this year's draft at the quarterback position in, in just a, a few minutes, but when putting together all of this, and doing your research and doing your homework, how tough is it when you've got players that have maybe played three games in 2020, five games, six games, maybe they played 10 or 12, depending on what conference they were in, uh, or, or ended up opting out? How difficult is it going back almost two years maybe with some of these guys to see tape as you try to put together and figure out who's going to go where? Well, that's a really good question. And I think there's different tiers to it, honestly, just because we know guys like Panay Jamar Chase, and some of the other early opt-outs. Caleb Farley's another one. I don't think those guys need to put anything else on tape. We know exactly what they are, what they are through their sophomore seasons. I don't think if they would have came back and played, they wouldn't have hurt their stock negatively. But you see some second and third tier guys that are opting out, whether that's advice from people in their ears or potential agents or whatever it was. So I think the hardest part is just, is this the best, that you saw of that guy as far as their development or were, or were they continue continuously going to get better? So I think that's the hard part about the evaluation process just because there's some guys you have not seen since the 2019 season, but they didn't play well at the end of that 2019 season. So is there room for them to grow or have they kind of plateaued with their development? So I think that's the hardest part about the evaluation just because 
you're starting to forget about some guys just because you haven't seen them since that 2019 season. So you have to go back and check 2019 tape. But for example, like a guy like Zach Wilson, imagine if Zach Wilson would have opted out prior to this year and he wouldn't have the monstrous year that he had last season. So there was obviously continuous room for growth for him, but we would have never seen that. But for a guy like Trey Lance, for example, from North Dakota State, he only played that one game, the showcase game against Central Arkansas, which he played okay. I don't think it should move the needle in any direction for him, but you're talking about a redshirt sophomore that has only played in 17 career games. And just to share a stat with you guys, so since the year 2000, when we're talking about quarterbacks, there's only been five other guys that have started 17 or less career games that have went on to be first-round picks. And it's been Mark Sanchez, Cam Newton, Mitchell Trubisky, Kyler Murray, and Dwayne Haskins. So obviously a mixed bag of guys. So if you're talking about a guy like a Trey Lance, you don't really know what you're going to get for him, and it's going to be a huge risk no matter which way you feel about him. I'll ask you as a guy that's played, and, and this may be hard to project and be individualized, but how hard is it going to be for some of these guys who opted out or didn't even have an opportunity to play last year? How hard is it for them to be able to just go from doing that to then getting into the NFL right away? And, and do you think that some teams, maybe beyond those leaders at, at the top of the draft, may use it as a tiebreaker, being like, I'll go with the guy that, that's played some football last year as opposed to someone who maybe opted out? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, you guys know, just speaking from a, as a former quarterback, it's all about reps, repetition. And Baker Mayfield is a great example. He's been in a ton of systems during his career, but you saw – the continuous amount of reps that he had in Stefanski's system, he continuously got better. And there's going to be some rough patches here and there. That's just how it goes with quarterback development. But like I said, with guys like Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, I think you're a little bit more easier on them just because of the talent. But some of these second and third tier guys, you definitely use it as a tiebreaker just because you don't know how that next step of their development is going to go. And usually with players, especially younger guys, the more reps that they gain, the better that they get, just because with football, it's all psychological, it's all mental. And once that game starts to slow down for them, that's when things start to click for them. But that only comes with reps and experience is the best teacher with football. There's nothing else that they can gain uh, just because experience and in-game reps is the only way that the game is going to slow down for them. You can go over plenty of plays in the playbook. You can get on a whiteboard or however these coaches are teaching them. But the only way that they're going to get better and learn the playbook and just learn the speed of the game is to actually be in it. Talking with Jordan Reed, draft analyst for the Draft Network, former quarterback, former coach, and former recruiting coordinator. Done it all here in, in his, uh, his early and very blossoming media career now here as uh, he transitions into the Draft Network. And taking a look at, at the Browns' needs, what – the biggest positions of need seem to be on the defensive side of the football. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys back on the offensive side, but defensively, what positions do you see of strength in this year's draft? Uh, I think cornerback is a really strong position, in my opinion. And you hear about the guys at the top, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertain. But there's some second and third tier guys that I think the world of right now. Greg Newsom II from Northwestern, Tyson Campbell from Georgia. And then also Eric Stokes from Georgia as well. And Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky is another one that's starting to gain some steam in the corner. I think that could be a huge need for the Browns just because Greedy Williams has not been able to stay healthy. Uh, Denzel Ward has shown some flashes, but injuries has really been a problem for him uh, a little bit throughout his career with him being a smaller corner. And I think he's a really good player, but injuries are something that's starting to mount up a little bit for him. And that's not to say he's not in the long-term future for them. I think he's a really good player. He definitely is in their plans, but he's been nicked up quite a bit throughout his career. And then they have quite a few free agents 
uh, out on the perimeter at cornerback as well. So we could see a situation where they address the secondary, whether it's safety or corner early on. That would not surprise me at all. And I'll ask you about a guy you projected recently to the Browns, and, and that's Zayvon Collins, the Tulsa linebacker. What about him makes you think that the Browns could buck the trend slash reputation they have where they might, where people just don't think they will take a linebacker in the first round? Well, so there's two guys I think maybe could buck the trend with the Browns. And I know every time I mock a linebacker to the Browns, everybody was like, oh, no, we don't take linebackers early. They just don't value it. But I think both of them are worthy. And that's Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and then also Zayvon Collins. And I'll just start with Zayvon at first. Um, versatility. That's the first thing that really stands out about him. And then his size at six foot four, 260 pounds. He kind of reminds you just to paint a picture of him of Anthony Barr. That's the player that he really reminds me of as far as he can rush off of the edge. He holds up really well in coverage. And then he's a physical player as well. You can move him all over the place. I think Tulsa did a really good job of just moving him all over the place, just showing off his versatility. And a similar fashion with the Wusu Koromoa, he's more of your strong safety outside linebacker type. I think Zavin can play in the box as opposed to him. I think you have to keep him on the perimeter. But you're talking about these versatile chess pieces, and we know that the NFL is so pass-happy right now that you have to have these linebackers that not only can play the first two downs, but also on third down that can match up with tight ends and then these shifty slot receivers as well. So if there were two guys that I think could book the trend, I definitely think both of them will be worthy at 26. If both of those guys are gone at pick 26, uh, maybe even into the second round, are there, are there some names at those at that linebacker position? You know, last year there weren't a lot of linebackers. You know, the linebacker class, if you didn't get one of the top three or four, there was a pretty significant drop-off, at least in the ratings uh, of those guys. Is that a similar situation this year at linebacker? So this linebacker class is kind of, I would call it unique. I think it's very similar to edge rusher in that there's not that top guy at the top. There's not a headliner name. There's not a Miles Garrett at the top of edge rusher. And then there's not a, one at linebacker either, even though I think Michael Parsons is a really good player. But there's some people that don't have him as that top guy. It's not like a Miles Garrett coming out where we knew that he undoubtedly was going to be the number one overall pick. But if we're talking about some guys that they could get in the second or third round, Jabril Cox from LSU, who was a North Dakota State transfer, I think he's a player that they will have a lot of interest in. And the thing about Jabril is that a lot of times you see players that go from FCS to that big-time Division One level, which is what he did. You rarely ever see a player go from FCS to the SEC and still have he didn't the, the surroundings didn't look foreign to him if that makes sense he the speed of the game wasn't too fast for him and that just goes to show that he has unique versatility but also he has unique athleticism as well and then another one that I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on right now is Baron Browning from Ohio State I think he's a player that could go a little bit higher than what some people are expecting right now and he played really well down at the senior bowl that's something that I really wanted to see from him just because Ohio State had a ton of linebackers. I think they had three or four that probably have a chance at getting drafted right now. But I think he was the best of the bunch. And you talk about athleticism for days, just go and watch him against the game in the Senior Bowl. I think he was fantastic. Is there an edge rusher you like at that part of the draft that you think could make an impact and, and potentially help the Browns fill the void that if, if Olivier Vernon's not back here next year? Yeah. And even though there's not a consensus guy at the top, it's just a matter of what type of flavor that you want. Uh, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia is one that I like a lot. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be available at 26. There's kind of mixed reviews out there right now about him. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes top 20. It wouldn't surprise me if he's there at 26 either, just because there's so many mixed reviews about him. And then another one is Jalen Phillips from 
from uh, UCLA uh, who transferred to Miami. He's another one that's starting to get a lot of steam here lately, even though he has some off the field stuff uh, from when he retired at UCLA for a brief stint. And then he also has some red flags in his background that he has to answer as well. And there's plenty of other guys too. Jason Oway from Penn State, Gregory Russo from Miami. I could go on and on about some of these guys just because there's no proven top guy at the top. Each one is going to have their flaws. Just like I said, it's just a matter of which flavor and type that you want. On the offensive side of the football, um, there, there is a concern about needing to build up uh, some depth on that offensive line and also maybe uh, looking at a, at a wide receiver, someone who can get down the field, uh, you know, a burner that can really get behind the defense, stretch them out a little bit and allow everything to open up underneath a little bit more. What do you see when you look at those two positions this year in the draft? So similar to last year, I think wide receiver is really deep. I think it's even deeper than what we saw in day two and day three a year ago. And you saw all these guys come in and contribute immediately on day two, whether it was a Denzel Mims with the Jets or uh, LaVisca Chenault with the Jaguars. And there's plenty of others. T. Higgins from Cincinnati, who you guys are familiar with, who came in and made an immediate contribution to them. So uh, when you're talking about day two guys that I think could come in and help the Browns immediately, I think De'Ami Brown from North Carolina is one that uh, could come in and help right away. I like him a lot. He does have some catch concerns uh, that does worry me a little bit, but I think he's one that could improve on that. It's not a situation where he's just blatantly dropping the ball. It's more of a looking the ball in before you move up the field type of situation. Uh, Terrace Marshall from LSU is another one that I think would be a really good fit on the Browns as well. And there's plenty of others. Like I said, there's a lot of talent on day two. If you're just looking for a burner, those down the field type of players that really could intrigue the Browns on day two or day three. I'll go with a little bit of a big picture question here. And I'll ask just what, what did you take away from Andrew Berry's first draft with the Browns? And, and how does that make you think the, the approach could be for this upcoming year? What, what, I know it's just one draft, but what did you, what did you see from yeah. that and how it could apply this year? I honestly think it was a home run. You rarely see a team hit on as many picks as they did. And I think he got a lot of great value from the late round picks as well. You talk about Harrison Bryant who came in and even though it was primarily as a blocker, the tight ends have to have some type of role early on. And you guys know with David and Joku, it's kind of like learning two positions in one. That's why I think tight end, we don't rarely see, or we rarely see them come in and contribute right away just because they're learning how to be a blocker. They're learning how to be a pass catcher as well. And that can be really difficult for players early on. So I think Harrison Bryant was really good value. Donovan Peoples-Jones who came in and played really well as well in spots. And then Jordan Elliott came in and filled in really well. I think Grant Delpit is going to end up being a good player. We'll see how he returns from the Achilles. But, I mean, there's no secret that Jedrick Wills was the best of the bunch with how well he played at his left tackle spot. So you're starting to see the value stack up. And for Barry to go out, have never been a GM in his entire career before and draft as well as he did, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. And I know you guys are really intrigued, even though it's not as early of a pick as you guys are used to in, in the building. I still think they have a chance to have a really good draft considering how well he drafted a year ago. And then just last one, I mean, do you get a sense that, that teams are looking, would maybe potentially move on from some picks and try to stockpile more picks for next year just because it might be a more normal college football season? Or do, do you think that it'll just be business as usual, even with this weird season? I think it's kind of twofold, honestly, Andrew, just because I think some teams are kind of just want to hit doubles. And what I mean by that is, players that you know are going to be safe bets in the league. And I know there's no guys that are going to be safe bets, but 
as far as the Browns are really analytically based. So they're going to take guys that are that fit really well in their system that check all the boxes and whatever the algorithms are. And they're not going to take a bunch of chances on maybe guys that had injury red flags or don't pass the character backgrounds or things of that nature. So I think they're going to stay very close to the vest as far as players that they can just hit doubles with as far as risking maybe ones they could potentially hit home runs with, if that makes sense. All right, Jordan, before we let you go, because we, we ask everybody every week that we have on the podcast, how many quarterbacks go in the top 15? Because ultimately, the more quarterbacks that go pushes that talent pool back to us a little bit at 26. So we're rooting for as many quarterbacks as possible to go in that yeah. top 15. How many quarterbacks do you think? And I know you just, uh, in your podcast that just came out, the Read Option podcast, I know you talk extensively about quarterbacks. You break down every guy, and it's a great podcast leading up to the draft. I would recommend everybody get on board with that and check it out. You can follow him, by the way, at Jordan underscore Reed. How many QBs go in the top 15? I honestly think five go in the top 15. That's crazy as, as that is to say. I think the Patriots are going to take one, whoever's left of the five at 15, uh, if they don't end up trading up. And I think it's going to be Mac Jones. Uh, if I had to predict, predict today, I think five quarterbacks go in the top 15. We're a big fan of that. The more the merrier. Because <laughs> we don't actually have to deal with that. And it's been a right. long time since that's been the case. Absolutely. Jordan Reed, appreciate your time. Continued success to you and everybody over at the Draft Network. And uh, we encourage everybody, make sure you check it out. Uh, it's a great publication, great, great videos, great breakdowns. The podcast here, uh, the Read Option podcast with Jordan Reed. Jordan, appreciate the time. Continued success. And I'm sure we'll be talking with you again down the road. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I look forward to this every year. Thanks to Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Appreciate his time and insight. And again, Gribbs, it's it's fascinating because we're at pick 26, and there's so many things that can happen between pick one and pick 26 and where we might go. We're starting to see some names floating in, and we'll get to those in just a minute, but some great insight from, from Jordan Reed uh, on – Really, this draft class, as it starts to come together and we start to see these pro days and get a little more of a background on some of these guys going into draft day. Anytime we talk to these guys and then I look at all the uncertainties, I look at all the teams ahead of the Browns that have similar needs and could easily take some of these guys that we're starting to fall in love with. I'm, I'm just I'm starting to get the itch for the for the move up. Like, do, do you need to move up? And I, I, I can see. I could see how some teams fall into the trap of that in, in the end of the first round. I mean, you, you get, it gets to be 11 o'clock on the first round of the draft. You get a little bored. You're, you know, it's, you, you want to get it over with. I mean, you want to spice it up a little gonna bit. It's going to be a long night. I mean, it's, so it, I'm just wondering, I mean, I, this is too much uncertainty. I'm used to the certainty that, that you have at the top of the draft. Even, even last year at number 10, I felt a lot more certain about, you're going to get a tackle at some point. Now I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I'm pretty confident it's going to be on defense, but outside of that, I don't know if my insight is going to change much more uh, by April 29th. I, I don't think I'm going to know any more then than I do now. I, I thought it was interesting and we teased it earlier. Mel Kuyper Jr. Put out his mock last week. It was kind of crazy. We talked about it a little bit, some trades and Mel never puts trades in things. Uh, he had a teleconference with the media, and, and it's it's pretty insane to listen to it because it's literally him ninety minutes just answering question after question from like 
from like Dubuque to Fort Lauderdale to you name the city, someone's calling with a question and he just rattles things off like it's nobody's business. And he, there were a couple Browns questions, include our, including our Anthony Possell, uh, who had a question for him about what to do at pick number 26. And obviously in his mock, he had the Browns taking a linebacker. Uh, but the follow-up question came a little bit later on defensive end wide receiver could you see one of those positions mel saying if you're looking for a burner if you're looking for a speedster that gets by you know they can get behind the defense maybe you're better off trading into the the second round and getting rid of that pick and he also said the defensive ends at that point in the draft there could already be some questions There, there there are a lot of questions about some of those guys what do you make of that i mean we, we've seen linebacker mock to this team a ton. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Not going to happen. We're really, who knows what direction, but with questions at defensive end at 26 or Mel's advice to trade out of the first round to go get a wide receiver. What do you make of all these comments? Yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of makes sense when you think about it. Defensive end is one of the most valued positions in the NFL. We saw what Miles Garrett is making. We saw the impact that he's able to have. I mean, it's 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 right up there. It, it's it goes quarterback, then maybe tackle or pass rusher. I mean that that's 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 how important that position is on the field. So, if you're looking for a plug and play pass rusher, number twenty six is not going to be the spot to get it. I mean, you're you're there's going to be a reason why a pass rusher falls to number twenty six. So there's going to be either a mix of maybe lack of uh, consistent motor or, or inconsistency, maybe, or it's the, the wrong size for the position that it, in terms of the scheme, or it, it's a, a, someone like a, a quitty pay out of Michigan who maybe his best football is a few years from now. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the reason why when you're getting into pass rusher at number 26, just like you would be if, with a quarterback and just like you would be with an offensive tackle. I mean, if, if you're getting someone down there at that spot, you're probably going to have to work with them a little bit before they're ready to go week one. I mean, I think you, you might strike gold and get, get and, and, and get a great player that has fallen maybe too far than they should, but odds are teams do their homework. And, and so if you're drafting a pass rusher at number 26, I, I, I think the odds of them being able to start right away are different than if you're drafting, say a linebacker at number 26 or a running back at 26. I, I just think there's it, it, with each position, you, you have to go higher and higher in the draft to get someone that is truly a plug-and-play day one guy. I think there is a misconception that if you get drafted in the first round, you need to be an impact player right away. And mm-hmm. I think top 10, absolutely. No question about it, maybe even top 15. But those picks later in the first round can be a developmental pick. I don't know what – behooves the Browns at pick 26 to get a guy that can play right away or a developmental guy. It, it will be fascinating as this draft unfurls to see exactly what the Browns thought process is as it, as it pertains to that. Yeah. And, and you go back to last year. I mean, and, and really you go back to the second round last year where this kind of logic can play out. I mean, you got a guy in Grant Delpit who was, in all, all, in what we think was a plug and play guy at safety, but that's safety. I mean, you don't see a lot of safeties go in the first round of the draft. 
And and so, but with him, you got someone who maybe had first round value that ended up falling down that way. So maybe your goal is maybe you're getting someone with top of half of first round potential at 26 and maybe having to wait a little bit, or you get someone similar to maybe like the Ravens last year, getting like a Patrick queen down at that part of the draft. I mean, he was plug and play and he had his ups and downs last year, but we're assuming he's just going to be locked into that spot on the Ravens defense for the year. So you have the opportunity to maybe get someone like that, like a Zayvon Collins, but it's all about what you value position wise. And is it better to have a linebacker that, you know, you can, can start for you for the next four years or a, a pass rusher that maybe you think can develop into something even more special down the road. And so that that's, that that's all the, the analysis that the front office has to do and, and why they're, uh, in charge of what they're doing. And I think that what they do in free agency, I think we'll have to dictate a little bit of that. I, I know when we talk about draft, you, you say you never draft for need. I think that changes just a little bit when you're in the position the Browns are in, when you're in the position of making, trying to get back to the playoffs. I just think it's a little different than when you're, say, like what the Jaguars are going into this draft right now or, or the Jets. I mean, those teams can't draft for need because they got a lot of needs. The Browns, they've got some needs, but they've they've got where the ability to target some of those needs maybe a little bit better than some other teams well and the clock is ticking a lot of contracts are up a lot of rookie contracts are up and it's going to be time to to get some of those guys paid and win now when they're on those rookie contracts i I think that also takes on an added importance all right Uh, On your breakdowns, your weekly mock draft review, clevelandbrowns.com. You can check that out. Uh, Mocks from The Athletic, from NFL Network, cbssports.com. The one name that keeps popping up, actually there are two names that pop up, Quitty Pay, Quitty, K-W-I-T-Y, and Trayvon Morig. Am I, I'm, is the H silent? Are we going I, H? I think silent? it's more. I think it's Morig. Yeah, Morig. All right. Uh, safety uh, out of TCU. Uh, two names that definitely keep popping up. What do you know about Quiddy Pay? We'll start with him first. Well, he's again someone with a lot of upside, and I think that as as Chris Burke mentions in his draft, there's there's legitimate top ten buzz around this guy, and so twenty six would obviously that'd be great to get someone that is potentially getting top 10 buzz. I think Todd McShay had him as high, had him at 11th uh, in his draft. So this is, there's a lot of mixed opinions on him. I think, and I just think it's because he's a developmental player because he went to Michigan, had had played running back in high school. So he's only 228 pounds in high school. Uh, and it's just a freakish athlete. And I think the, uh, he was included in Bruce Feldman's uh, college football freaks list for 2020 uh, and his freakiest attribute is three cone speed drill, which as he recorded uh, for, for scouts the year before the combine, his time of 6.37 seconds would have topped anyone at the actual NFL combine. So he, he's a, he's a very, uh, just a, a, a tremendously gifted player, but again, would fall into the discussion on, I don't know if he's plug and play. I don't know if he's someone that you, you say, say Olivier Vernon's not back, well, just put Quiddy Pay there. I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the the answer because you're getting him late in the first round and you might need to work with him for a little bit, but clearly falls into the tremendous upside while also helping the Browns fill an area where they need some more depth. I think that's pretty clear. I don't know if you're going to get a starter in free agency or the draft 
uh, at that position, but uh, you certainly need some more bodies at that position. Trayvon Morig, safety, TCU. I, I'm, I'm intrigued because it's not just one draft that has us taking a safety. It's numerous mock drafts that have us potentially taking a safety. I'm intrigued. Why safety do you think in, uh, in the first round at pick 26? Well, listen, it, it would be, he, if you're getting more and you're doing it at 26, odds are you're probably taking the first safety off the board. I mean, he's, he's, he seems to be the, the consensus agreement uh, to be one of the best safeties in this draft. And I, Honestly, when you read his strengths and weaknesses, it, it sounds like another Grant Delpit. And, and so it, in terms of what he can do, the versatility, uh, just the, the coverage skills, all that, and you know, a mix of everything you want out of that position. Uh, and, and for the Browns, I mean, you get back Grant Delpit and you're getting back Ronnie Harrison, but Carl Joseph, Anderson Dejo, they played a lot of snaps on this defense last year. They're both free agents. So depending on what you do with them, you may have a need at that safety position. And, and I think Morig would fall into the category of if you're at 26, I don't know if it, if it falls into the Harrison Bryant category discussion where you're like, this player's so good on our high on our board, we got to take him, even if we don't necessarily have the glaring need that we might have at other positions. That could be the logic behind that pick. Or if you want to get creative on your defense and, and have a lot of these guys that can wear a lot of hats, I think Harrison, Delpit, and Morig can all do a be played at, at a bunch of different positions and that gives Joe Woods a lot of options. So I, I think that's, that, that's the, the, maybe the calculus that goes into that kind of decision. I, I think for, to take a safety at 26, I mean, that would, it, I, I think it would surprise me a little bit, but it, it could be like, as mentioned with Harrison Bryant, where it's like, uh, gosh, we have this guy ranked 10 spots higher than anyone else that's left on the, on the board. You got to go grab him. It just makes your team better. All right. What about Christian Barmore? out of Alabama. Pete Prisco has him going to us at pick 26. He's an Alabama guy, but a defensive tackle in the first round. You don't see a lot of defensive tackles going in the first round. More defensive ends, obviously, than tackles. Yeah, and it's it's and this year you don't have any defensive tackles maybe projected in that first half of the first round, which typically you have at least one or two going in the first half of the first round because it's a pretty valuable position, and, and it's kind of changed over the last few years on what you see out of defensive tackles but Barmore is like one of the players who benefited the most from there being a 2020 season and particularly he benefited most from Alabama's playoff run because that's where he rose to the occasion I, I think Alabama's had a lot of players that do this in that they show out at, at the final part of their career and that's all it takes because you some guys just don't get the opportunity I mean you go to Alabama as a defensive lineman you're probably redshirting and that's that's just the depth they have at that position. But the the track record, you, you trust what Saban has developed uh, on that defensive line. And I think you know Alabama gets dinged a lot because they people claim they have a lot of busts in the NFL, but it's because they put a lot of players in the NFL. You're going to have more busts when you do that. But if you're going position by position, I would say the the smallest bust rate you've had is on the defensive line. I mean, you're, you may not have a lot of superstars that have come out of Alabama, but all these guys are solid players that, that last in the league for a while playing defensive line. So I, I think Barmore is someone that is maybe more – he hasn't proved it a ton at the college level. He finished strong, but uh, it's an arrow-up kind of guy who, who, was in, who was at Alabama for three years playing two of them after redshirting that first year. 
Yeah, definitely some interesting names. We're starting to see some trends. We're starting to see certain positions becoming the focus of all of these mock drafts that are coming in week in and week out. We're eight weeks away from the draft. We are two weeks away from NFL free agency. The NFL machine getting revved up. Two months ago on this day, we qualified, by the way, for the playoffs. We beat Pittsburgh. Wow. Yeah. Actually, two weeks from yesterday. Two yeah. Weeks okay. Two weeks from yesterday. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. We were in the playoffs two months or two months ago today. Pretty crazy. And how quick time does fly. Thanks to Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel for all of his hard work. Make sure you like and subscribe today, wherever you get your podcast to the best podcast available. You can also watch us at youtube.com slash Browns. Want to thank our great partner, Key Private Bank. Thanks to them for coming along for the ride. We are back next week. As I mentioned earlier, We'll mention the draft a little bit, but it is going to be our free agent special, our free agent preview as we start to break things down and really get an idea of what this team is going to need. We'll have a few different guests joining us next week as we get you ready for free agency in the NFL and here in Berea with the Cleveland Browns. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available presented by Key Private Bank.